0: Hmm. <laughs> In church, how we doing this morning? Happy Super Bowl! Is it the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> I forgot. I didn't know it was a Super Bowl today. Um, but good morning, happy Sunday, everyone! I'm so glad that you could join us, be here. We had that one sunny day of, of 50 degrees. I don't know about you guys. I was, I was, and I'm an island girl, but I was out and about enjoying the, the warm. Um, Well, yeah, good morning. Um, Would you join us in worship? Um, We invite you to the front. We love to worship as a family. So please come um, and be with us. Let's worship together. It's
1: to take communion together. So if you need some elements still, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will get the elements to you. that we we think about and remember, which we should, is the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was shed for the atoning of our sins. That salvation from humanity was made possible because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That thought should fill our days with awe and wonder of what Jesus has done for us should consume our minds and praise should flow from our mouths and in the way that we live our life shall be a reflection of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his love demonstrated for us in such a beautiful way. But what Jesus did to save us has a starting point in us when we come to that place of faith and we believe that the broken body and the blood and their death and their resurrection are the way that salvation has come to us. That's the starting point for us and God puts his spirit in us the moment that our faith, our allegiance is put in Jesus. But it continues. Jesus is doing something in us. He's changing us to look like him. It's not that we're waiting to go to heaven someday, we're awaiting the day when heaven and the fullness of it has come to this earth. And we're assured of the fact that that will happen because of the broken body and the blood. And one of the ways that we see the kingdom coming, the, the new covenant being worked out here and now on this earth is by what we see happening in the people that are a part of his family, the people who are a part of this new covenant. Um, and this morning as I was worshiping and, and looking at the team that's leading us, I think we have someone, we have an island girl from Hawaii who's here with us. We have Venezuelans who are here with us. We have a Canadian who's here with us. And we even have a Michigander. I just want to say that's not normal in the world. But when we see what heaven looks like, it's every nation, every tribe, every tongue who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have entered into a new covenant with Jesus. And it's not just that we're saved and awaiting something in the future, but he's changing our hearts and he's mending us together into one family here and now, filled with the love of Christ for each other. That is an evidence of the kingdom coming. You know, people is looking for signs around us of, you know, how do we know that it's getting close to the time when Jesus returns? The greatest sign is we see the gospel spreading throughout all the earth and people of every nation, tribe and tongue brought in together into one family. That the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile was broken down in the body of Jesus on the cross. And so this morning, as we eat the bread we remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And as we drink, we remember the blood of the new covenant that atones for our sin and makes us a new people. Oh, Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you for what it is that you've done for us. We don't ever wanna get past awe and wonder and amazement and celebration at what it is that you've done as we remember your body and your blood. And Jesus, we don't want it to go to waste either. We want to see your kingdom here and now on this earth, Jesus, that you would continue to bring your kingdom here amongst your people. Lord, here in Radiant Church Ann Arbor, unite our hearts together as one. Lord, help us to love each other like you love us. Help us to love you with everything we are, fully submitted to you. Jesus, we pray for every nation, every tribe, and every tongue that the revelation of King Jesus is going forth into all the world, that you are being found by every people, Jesus, that the church is expanding and and that you are seeing the demonstration of the culture of heaven here on earth in every nation. Jesus, break down every wall and every barrier and truly unite us into one new man in Christ Jesus. We pray, Jesus, receive the reward of your suffering. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna have you spend a couple of minutes here. Spend a little moment with the Lord. And we were singing, the more I seek you, the more I find you. Would you spend a couple of minutes just seeking after the Lord, believing what he said, believing there's more relationship, there's more intimacy for you to have with him. If he was willing to lay down his life for you, you can be assured that every one of his promises are true. Spend a few moments seeking after the Lord and finding Him. Lord, we thank you for the promise Then we seek you with all of our hearts, we find you. And so what I pray, would you build faith in us to believe that promise and to spend every moment of the rest of our days here seeking after you and finding you. We love you and we trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen, well, good morning. It is good to be here with you, Radiant Kids. You are dismissed. Uh, I think I was like six years old and up. You can go to your rooms and your group leaders are in the back there. And parents, you can pick up your kids after service lets out in the Radiant Kids Ministry area. Uh, just two announcements real quick. Is one, we have our men's group coming up this Saturday. They'll be meeting right here at 10 a.m. And uh, actually, we've been looking at what it means to be a kingdom man. In this week, we're talking about uh, being a kingdom husband. So wives, encourage your husbands to come on out. <laughs> a little extra encouragement from your wives this week. but. Uh, can't encourage you enough. We all need community, love, support from multiple generations. A lot of small groups get kind of centered around similar age groups, life experiences, things like that. And that's fine, you need peers to run with, but you also need that place of where you have the generations coming together. And the men's group is a great opportunity for that. And then speaking of small groups, the next semester begins uh, March 4th. And so the uh, signups will start next week. But just getting that on your calendar start thinking about uh getting involved in a small group this next semester and next week we'll talk more about that and the signups for the groups will go live well if you have your bibles with you this morning uh where are we what are we looking at my mind blanks. matthew chapter four we are in matthew chapter four this you spend your entire week working on one passage and then you can't remember it but uh we're actually, this is kind of the end point of the last series we were doing, which was looking at living a life of remaining in Christ. Looking at John 15, how do we live this life of remaining in Jesus and Jesus remaining in us and the fruit that's born in our lives when we do that. Uh, Jesus didn't say it in this remain in me part, but um, I've found that fasting is one of the key pieces for living a life of remaining in Jesus. And so today, we're gonna to be talking about fasting. And for those of you who are joining us via video, you're not able to see what's happening in the room, but just so you know, there's uproarious joy. People are running up and down the aisles. People are weeping on their knees with arms lifted towards heaven. They are excited about fasting. Um, and and uh, honestly, When you teach on fasting, it's like, why can't you teach? Like, can you do a series on how we should all serve in children's ministry instead? That would be better. Or like, can we talk about like sex or politics or giving? Literally anything would be better than talking about fasting. But fasting is one of those things that we are called to as disciples of Jesus. And I don't think I ever heard a sermon on fasting growing up. I mean, I was if you weren't throwing up, you were in church. That's the kind of family I grew up in. Uh, and so I was there every Sunday, but fasting is one of those things that I was never exposed to until I was reading through the Bible on my own in high school. And I remember coming to the passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, you know, like, when you fast, and then he gives some instruction on it. I'm Like, whoa, what's this when you fast stuff? Now, isn't it if I want to fast or if I feel led to fast? But that's not what Jesus said. He said, when you fast, and then he gives some instruction on it. And so I decided, okay, if Jesus says this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm gonna do it. I have no idea why I'm doing it. I don't know what's supposed to happen when I do this, but if Jesus told me to fast, I'm going to fast. And so I remember waking up that first morning and uh, skipping breakfast. And I'll tell you what, that automatically became the longest fast I had ever done. The longest I had gone without food before that was however long I had been sleeping for that night. Like eat a snack. We grew up eating ice cream right before bed. (laughs) Explains so much about me, but we're the kind of family eating ice cream Sunday, brush teeth, and immediately to bed with that full stomach helps you fall asleep. And then I get up and immediately eat breakfast. So skipping breakfast that first morning was almost torturous. I like wow, like I am really committed to the Lord. I'm not saying we judge each other, but if you were to judge, I'd be up here. Um, and I remember going to school and and sitting there and and. Uh, Like at lunchtime, you know, you all have your group of friends you sit with in high school. So I'm there and and they're like, Jerem, why aren't you eating? And I didn't wanna tell them it was because I was fasting because I don't wanna lose my reward, which I'm not even sure what it is, but I don't wanna lose the reward. But I also don't think I should be lying when I'm fasting either of like, oh, you know, I'm just not hungry, whatever. So I, I was just like, oh, I'm just not eating today. Why not? I'm just not eating today. And they didn't understand it. They were concerned about me. And I remember then after that, we had fifth hour, Mr. Smith, world geography. And I'm sitting there in the front row in that little desk. And by this point, my stomach is trying to eat itself. It has been so long since I ate that my stomach is trying to digest itself. And it's
0: like
1: You ever had your stomach do those really loud, embarrassing rumbles? The whole class can hear it. So I'm like trying to like push my stomach in, hunched over, and I'm just praying. I'm like, oh, this is why you fast. You start praying, like, Lord, stop my stomach. It's so embarrassing. Lord, please, <laughs> like, just stop this. Everybody's looking at me. Lord, please. And uh, and then, you know, I went home and, and I ate my dinner. That was how long I was fasting for. And so I started making this a weekly rhythm in my life for a while. I was doing that on Wednesdays. And I'll tell you what, I got absolutely nothing out of it. And so I stopped because I was like, I, I'm sick of my stomach being stupid and everybody looking at me and I'm, I don't even get anything out of it. And so it just fell to the wayside. And then in my mid twenties, um, I, I, I was at a church where I was exposed to teachings on fastings for the first time. And we started out the year uh, with prayer and fasting and doing like a 21 day fast. And so what we started doing was praying for things at the beginning of the year, all right, Lord, you know, need provision for this, give me wisdom for this decision, give me breakthrough in this area. So I had this list of things that I was praying for. I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord to do things. And you know, that was, it became like a once a year type of a thing that we would do. And we did see God do incredible things through this. And then I got into my thirties and uh, sickness became more a part of my reality of life, different illnesses. It was, I had a, a cancer diagnosis and then uh, my father-in-law was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, I had pancreatic tumors after that, you know, incredible pain issues. And so uh, my wife and I started fasting and praying for healing. Like I'm taking these days and we're just gonna pray for healing and we're gonna fast and, and want the Lord to do this. And, um, what happened was like, we didn't see the things that we wanted. And so then you think, well, what am I even doing this for? <laughs> like, if I haven't, you know, I've been praying for these things and, and I didn't get them, then I started to like, what am I even fasting for anyways? Like, God, I was showing you that I'm serious. Like, God, I'm trying to to really up my game. I, I felt like it was if I fasted, it shows God that I'm so serious that it's going to attract his attention towards me. Like, oh, Jeremy and Anna. Sure, I'll, I can see you all are outstanding Christians. You are really committed to me and you really want this healing. So I'm going to do this for you. It was a wrong mindset that we had about fasting and why we fast and what happens when we fast. But through that experience, of going through these different areas of fasting, what it led me to realize is that fasting doesn't make you more valuable to God. It makes God and his kingdom more valuable to you. If you're fasting thinking that this is gonna show God how valuable you are, or be, you can increase your value or his attention on you through your fasting, then you've misunderstood what fasting is about. When you fast, you don't become more valuable to him. He becomes more valuable to you. And understanding this revolutionized my life. And it changed fasting and taking it from being something that I did as a discipline, because Jesus said that I'm supposed to, and I'm trying to do it to get all these other things. It went to becoming one of the great ways that I learned to remain in him and for him to remain in me, because as I fast, his kingdom becomes so much more beautiful. His kingdom becomes so much more valuable. And as I'm fasting and as I'm encountering him and my focus is upon him, he becomes more valuable to me. In fact, you'll discover that your very desires change that as you learn to fast and incorporate that into your following after Jesus, your very desires will change. You discover that he becomes the one who satisfies you with his very presence. You discover that Jesus fills you with peace and joy and that his kingdom is a kingdom of peace and of joy. You become more aware of how beautiful he is and how beautiful his kingdom is. You become more aware of how good he is, how glorious he is, how just he is. And there becomes a hunger inside of you for more of him and for more of his kingdom. And the grief and the doubts and the pains and the hurts that you have, they become soothed by his presence as you fast. And Jesus even demonstrates this to us. He's been, uh, in Matthew chapter three, he begins his public ministry. And he goes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And then as soon as he comes out of the water, it says that he's led by the spirit out into the wilderness. And this is where it picks up in Matthew chapter four. This is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we fast, we become more hungry for God and his kingdom." you know, like I was already talking about, we had this great revelation when we fast of how good he is and how faithful he is. And when you fast, it stirs up an appetite for more of him. Uh, that's the part of like the first thing that happens when you fast. And then our desires for God's words increase and the desires of the flesh decrease when jesus is fasting like maybe the least necessary verse in all of the bible it says after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights he was very hungry like we already knew that we assumed that that didn't have to be there but just to really spell it out for us 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and jesus is very hungry now is hunger a bad desire no hunger is a good desire if it wasn't for the desire to eat we would live a life malnourished and we may even die. Jesus gave us a good desire for hunger. The problem is when our desire for hunger becomes unsubmitted to Jesus. It's this way for every single one of our desires. Eating become, becomes something that causes you to become unfaithful. If the Lord has led you to fast, and you know all of a sudden you start thinking about food, and you're like, well, this is a good desire. It's a God-given desire to eat, so I'm just gonna satisfy this good God-given desire. Well, if you do that, and it becomes unsubmitted to the Father, then that desire you have becomes a problem. Uh, it, it's like that for every desire. You have a desire to drink. That's a God-given desire. Three days without water, and like, you're not gonna be alive anymore. God gave you a desire to drink, but you can drink so much that you actually kill yourself. Uh, it's the same with sex. That is a God-given desire that he has put into us and built into humanity. Otherwise, we wouldn't get married and we wouldn't raise families. It's a God-given desire, but when it becomes unsubmitted to him, now it becomes a problem. When we fast, what happens is our desire for God and for his words and for living obedient to him, it increases inside of us so that the physical desires that we have, which are God given and good, but the enemy comes and tempts us to take these desires and to satisfy them in a way that is unsubmitted to God. And when we do that, it leads it instead of now producing goodness and flourishing and beauty, it leads it to a place where we're now satisfying these desires in an unsubmitted way brings ruin and destruction to us and to others into our relationship with him. The enemy will always tempt us with our physical desires. He will tempt us with desires that God built into humanity and that are good, but he will try to get you to satisfy them in a way that is unsubmitted. But through fasting, this practice of submitting and controlling physical desires we have, as we do that, your desire for God and for faithfulness to him and intimacy with him grows and expands, and the appetites to use our desires in unsubmitted ways continue to decrease. Jesus was able to remain faithful to the Father because fasting developed a greater hunger for faithfulness to him and for God's words for us and how he's called us to live and made us that the desires for the physical things in unsubmitted ways decreased. Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we fast, our desire for God's words increases and obedience to God's words increases and the physical desires in unsubmitted ways decrease. Then it goes on and says in Matthew 4, 5 through 7, then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So when we fast, our trust in God increases and our doubt decreases. As you fast and intimacy with the Lord is built, Uh, what happens is you begin to trust him more. Intimacy always develops farther trust in any relationship. It's like that with your friends, it's like that with family members, it's like that with your spouse, with children. Trust is built as intimacy is built. But when trust is broken, that destroys intimacy. Or if intimacy is broken, that makes it so you're not able to trust. Well, Jesus is going through the same thing. He has developed intimacy with the Father through fasting. He trusts him in what he says, but then the enemy comes in and the enemy tempts him by trying to destroy his trust for the father. And what's he trying to cause him to doubt? Is he the son of God? You need to prove it. The father needs to prove it to you. Well, what had just happened, remember, is in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus is baptized, in verse 16, it says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God had just said over Jesus, you are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. So Satan comes and says this to him, prove that you are the son of God, prove that the father loves you, and prove that the father is pleased with you. What God has already said about who he is, already given him identity and said these things about him, Jesus has to operate in trust. I trust that this is true because the father said it. And because I have intimacy with him, I accept it. But what the enemy does is he comes and says, it was what God said really true? Because words are easy. You can say anything you want to anybody you want, but actions are what prove what is true. So here's what we'll do. If God really does love you, if he really is pleased with you, if you really are his son, then let's go to the top of the temple The highest point around here. Everybody's going to see you up there. And as you jump off, if you really are the son of God, if he really loves you, if he's really pleased with you, then he's going to save you. And the whole world will know that this is true. What's he doing? Trying to get him to have distrust for what the father said. It's not enough that you said it, now you have to prove it to me. What happens when we decide lord now you have to prove it to me what you said isn't good enough you have to prove this to me now trust is broken i don't really trust the lord and when you don't really trust him your intimacy with him is destroyed jesus rightly responds by saying you know the scriptures say do not test the lord your god why because when you test him, what it says is I don't actually believe what you've said. I haven't found you to be reliable or trustworthy in my relationship with you. So you're going to have to prove it to me. And in doing this, you're actually going to prove it to everybody else. So here's what the enemy does. He comes in and he says, you need proof that God loves you. You need proof that God is for you. You need proof that you can actually trust him. If God loves you, why are you sick? If God loves you, why are you struggling financially? If God loves you, why are your kids struggling? If God loves you, why is marriage so hard? If God loves you, why fill in the blank for whatever it might be? The enemy will always come and try to cause us to doubt God's love for us or his ability to provide for us, his ability to be enough for us. He will always say, it's not good enough that God has just said this and that you trust him. It has to be proven by some action somehow. And as we give into that, it destroys our intimacy with God. But when we fast, your trust in Jesus is built. Your trust in what it is that he has said is built. Your trust in his faithfulness is built. And your uh, pride, wait, what am I saying? (laughs) What was my, what was was my point? Ah, And your doubt decreases. Your trust increases and your doubt decreases as you fast. And then it continues on in uh, verses eight through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As we fast, our humility increases and our pride decreases. Satan offered to give Jesus all the glory of the world, the best of everything the world has to offer, money, fame, power, authority, status, everything this world has to offer, Satan offered it to Jesus. All he had to do was break faithfulness to the Father and he would have the best of everything this world has. What an incredible temptation that is. A throne instead of a cross. Luxury instead of suffering. Being celebrated instead of being betrayed. The glory of man instead of the shame of the cross. Satan offered it all to Jesus. But Jesus knew something through fasting. And it was that the glory of this world does not compare to the glory of the Father. And that if he were to sacrifice the glory of God to gain the glory of the world, the two just don't compare. You can't gain the glory of the world and have the glory of the Father. You choose which one it is that you're going to pursue. You choose which desire it is that you're going to go after. But Jesus discovered this. Our glory is him. I love it. In 1 Samuel, there's this beautiful passage where God actually says, I am the glory of my people. Think about what what God's saying there. Your family isn't your glory. This church isn't your glory. Your career isn't your glory. You fill in the blank, your career isn't your glory. Your grades aren't your glory. Your, Your house, your car, your vacation, all of these things that seem glorious to us and that we pursue and go after, there's nothing this world has to offer that actually is our glory. If you are a part of the family of God, he says, you know what your glory is? It's me. God himself is our glory. And there is no greater glory than him. What marks and defines us as a people is him, that we bear his image, that we are those who, who like walk in his glory. And that when we fast and when we go after him, we experience and we encounter his glory in increasing measure. One of the prayers I pray, Now, like the two prayers I pray every day that are part of this, like, Lord, help me love you more. I know there's so much more love that you're worthy of. Lord, would you help me today to love you more? And another prayer that I pray every day after that is, Lord, anoint me for your glory. And what I mean by that is your spirit in me so that you receive glory through the life I live, through everything I do, that you would receive glory from me. And then the second part is humble me for my glory. I need deep humility in my own heart so that I don't go after the glory the world offers, but so that my glory is him. Lord, anoint me for your glory, but humble me for my glory so that my glory can be you. Satan is always tempting us to go after other things. Just a little bit more time going after your career, a little bit more time sacrificing to to put value and to worship other things, and we'll receive glory, we'll receive accolades, we'll receive pay increases, we'll receive uh, even in ministry things, like we'll have more people that will come, I'll do more things that can become a form of glory that the world offers us, that pulls us away from the glory that we have in him. But Jesus, through fasting, had developed the humility that he needed to know that the glory he was after was the Father. And Jesus even says this, I'm not receiving glory from man. The glory I want is him. The glory I want is glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundations of the earth were laid. Fasting made it so that Jesus's humility increased and his pride decreased because every single one of us are tempted and Jesus was tempted in every way possible, but he remained faithful. And I truly believe that fasting was such a key and integral part of Jesus's ability to live a life of faithfulness. And it's why he commands us to fast as well. Fasting will produce in you things that you absolutely need to be able to live a life of faithfulness to Jesus. Fasting is good and there's even a joy and a delight that you will experience as you fast, because as you fast, you're not doing it because you're looking for this thing. You're not trying to make yourself more valuable to God through your fasting. When you fast, God becomes more valuable to you and God's kingdom becomes more valuable to you. And you begin to long and yearn even more for the fullness of his kingdom and the fullness of his transforming you to look like Jesus. We'll stop there. This will be a series now. (laughs) So come back for more fasting teachings. But Jesus, we love you. You are faithful, and you are good, and you showed us how to live a life fully submitted and fully obedient to the Father. And because of that, you were fruitful. So Lord, teach us to remain in you. And Lord, I ask that you would stir up a desire in our hearts, says that your spirit in us is stirring up desires to live a life pleasing to you. And so, Lord, would you stir up a desire in us for fasting? We recognize that is so counterculture, but Lord, would you stir up desire inside of us to fast? And then would you give us the grace we need because of your spirit in us to be able to fast? You know, Lord, as we fast, we would encounter you that we would learn to trust you, that pride would be dealt with in our hearts, that humility would increase in us, that your kingdom would become more beautiful and more real to us. Jesus, would you do something deep and transformative in us as we begin the practices of Jesus in our own life? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, not this next week. We have Rod preaching this coming week, which I'm super excited about. I realize I've preached like nine sermons in a row, and that's way too many from one person. So uh, Rod's preaching next week. Then after that, we'll talk a little bit more about fasting, and then uh, maybe even one more week after that to talk about practicals of how to fast. So a couple of weeks of theology of fasting, why we fast, then we'll dig into some practicals of fasting and how to implement that into your life. But hey, if you want to start fasting now, go for it. Um, But we'll do a little bit more groundwork on it and then uh, develop something I think we can run with. Well, hey, we're at the part of the service now where you've had some training and equipping, but now it's time to be the church. We are the family of God, and he has deposited gifts inside of every single one of us for the building and the strengthening of the church, and that we were created not just to minister to him, but to minister to each other. And so this is where we get together and we're able to encourage each other through prayers, uh, you know, interceding for each other, allowing the the Holy Spirit to use the gifts of the Spirit to minister to each other. So I know if you're new here, that's like absolutely crazy talk in our culture. I completely understand that. And there's no compulsion for you to stick around and to be a part of it. But this is a place to grow into what it means to be a house of prayer, which is Jesus's vision for the church, a house of prayer. And this is a place where you have people who will love you, who have the spirit of the living God in them, who have been gifted by God, and they are able to minister to you. And not just that, but this is a place where the Holy Spirit can use you to minister to others. And so we all need ministry and we all need to minister. So I hope that you learn to continue to grow in the place of prayer. And maybe a first step for you is you don't feel comfortable sharing yet, um, but just your physical presence in a prayer group, just being there and just praying in your own mind and agreeing for prayers, your presence speaks volumes. Sometimes in your morning, there's nothing anybody can say, but their presence being there with you ministers to your heart. So maybe the place you start in prayer and ministering to each other is just allowing your presence being there, ministering to them, and nobody's gonna pressure you to open up or pressure you to pray or do anything, but that might be a good entry point for you. But continue to be committed to growing in the place of prayer and receive the benefits of being a part of the family of God and having brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers who love you and who are for you and will pray for you. Break up into groups of four to eight. Let's do some praying. And uh, yeah, let's pray. Love you all. God bless.